Good morning, and welcome again to our online service. You could be turning your Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be talking about fix our eyes on Jesus. I'm Larry Craig. I'm privileged to serve as one of the elders in the New York City Church of Christ and to be in the full-time ministry. I do want to say again, thank you so much for your outpouring of love and generosity for our 2020 special contribution. It's been so gratifying and encouraging to see uh, what has been given, uh, particularly in these uh, adverse circumstances and situations that we're facing. Thank you. And uh, we will be taking special contribution through the end of August. So in another couple of weeks, if you still uh, would like to give, please do so. Today, as we are together here virtually, it is August 16. That is a very important date for Mary Lou and me. It is our wedding anniversary today. 51 years. Uh, Mary Lou is without a doubt, without question, the very best person I know and I'm not just uh, saying that because it's an anniversary, but it's, it's uh, very, very true. Today is also the wedding anniversary of uh, our dear friends Sam and Cynthia Powell. <laughs> now, they've only been married 39 years today, so they're still mere children. But uh, we all are very grateful for what God has given us and the way he's blessed us. And uh, happy anniversary to all of us from each other. Also, this past week, I had a birthday, 72. I can't quite get my mind around that for some reason. Now, some of you, perhaps many of you, may be honestly thinking, wow, I thought he was much older. He certainly looks much older. And to you, I would say, may God forgive you, and I will work on forgiving you. Now, to some of you, a few of you, a handful of you, maybe two of you, who are thinking, wow, he doesn't look that old. Thank you. And I would encourage you to uh, get your eyes checked uh, as soon as you can. As the Hebrew writer was inspired by the Holy Spirit to encourage these Christians not to give up, not to go back to Judaism, not to turn their back on Jesus and the cross and the better things that God has for us in his new covenant. He talks about the importance of faith in chapter 11, and he gives some examples of people of faith, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But he comes to a very powerful conclusion in chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him 
endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. One thing this passage reminds us of is that as Christians, we are running a race. The Apostle Paul often used the figure of speech of our being in a race, a race that we want to finish uh, successfully. And, uh, you know, as a high school student, I did uh, run track. This was a long time ago. I was a sprinter. Uh, no long distance running for me. And uh, this was so long ago, it was the 220-yard dash and the 440-yard run. None of this meter stuff. But here's what I've learned in 72 years. The Christian race is not a sprint. It's a race that requires perseverance. It's a race that requires going the distance. How can we finish? The writer tells us, fix our eyes on Jesus. If we're going to have a faith that is lasting, motivating, compelling, enduring, we've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. The writer has said in chapter 11 that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is the foundation of the race that we're running. But there are challenges to this race. If we are focused on the wrong things, things that can even help and strengthen our faith, but cannot be the focus of our faith, in our race, we won't make it. What do I mean? I want us to think today about things that help our faith but are limited and then the foundation of our faith. What do I mean by things that help our faith but are limited? First of all, I'm talking about circumstances. Circumstances are tricky when it comes to faith. They indeed can help our faith. In the Old Testament, many of the Psalms were reminders of the circumstances in which God had given great victory to his people. We see here back in chapter 11, the lives of men and women that God did amazing things in the circumstances of their lives. It mentions Abraham. And chapter 11, verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. What a call. Come on, Abraham, let's go. Where we're we going, I'll tell you. But God worked it out. God blessed it. Abraham became incredibly wealthy. And uh, God Bless that obedience. There were some great circumstances in his life. It goes on and talks about God giving him this child of promise when he was 100 years old and his wife Sarah was 90 years old. But here's the thing about circumstances. 
as you keep reading in chapter 11, you read about some amazing circumstantial boosts of faith, but then you get over to um, verse 35. It's in the setting of some amazing things God did. It says, women received back their dead, raised to life again. But then it says, others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destituted, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. What about those circumstances? You see, circumstances can't really tell me whether God is with me or not in a particular moment. Circumstances can boost my faith, but I don't see the big picture God does. And if circumstances that don't seem to be going the way I think they should, which I also have learned in 72 years, happens uh, rather frequently, what happens to my faith? What happens if I don't see God apparently answer my prayers in the way I want. Circumstances can strengthen our faith and remind us God's looking out for us. But sometimes circumstances can look like God's not there or God's not hearing. Circumstances are not the foundation of our faith. They can help our faith, but they also can cause us to be bitter if we don't look at them with faith. When something is going wrong, apparently, in my perspective, and I say, this shakes my faith, then my faith's in the wrong place. Secondly, though, circumstances can help our faith, but they're limited. Also, people. Now, people are very important. God is love. God's relational. God wants us to be relational. God puts us together in a church. The Hebrew letter in chapter 3, as we know, talks about our encouraging each other daily. We need people. We need people encouraging us. We need people spurring us on. Chapter 10 talks about our assembling together to help each other be encouraged. We need each other. You know, I started running again. I didn't run in college. I didn't run for a number of years, and I was uh, near the end of my 20s, about 30, I realized I needed to get more exercise. I started running again. I got in a group of brothers, most of whom were younger than I. We started running. We decided to run some races. I remember running my first 10K. Let me back up. I was a sprinter. I did not like, did not even attempt to run distances. 10K, not that long, 6.3 miles. Some of you run marathons. I ran a half a marathon. That's the closest I got. But that first 10K, one of those things about three quarters of the way through, I'm thinking, why in the world did I ever think I could or wanted to do this? And I'm running with a bunch of people that are younger than I. And and uh, But I will never forget, the last stretch was a long straightaway. 
maybe a quarter of a mile, probably longer to the finish line. And about midway through, I saw my family, Mary Lou, my three young children. They were yelling, go, daddy, go, daddy, you can do it, go, daddy. Boy, that helped me. I needed that. We need people who are saying, go, 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 you can do it. And Hebrews chapter 11 is the story of a great many of people of faith whose lives we can be encouraged by. However, all of the people mentioned had flaws, weaknesses. Abraham's called the father of the faithful. He's held up in this chapter as an example of faith. But we also know Abraham tried to take shortcuts to God's promise about an heir with Hagar and Isaac. Abraham lied about Sarah being his wife, not once but twice. He was a man with flaws. People help our faith, but they are limited as being the foundations of our faith. I appreciate the people in my life, the Christian friends I have. I love the elders group I get to be a part of. Al Baker, Cedric Boaz, Kevin Finnerty, Dr. Mark Sanders, Lewis Livingston, who's, who's now moved to Jamaica. These are great men of spirituality and wisdom. I love being a part of that group. I love my relationship with Sam Powell as we are partners in the gospel, as he's the lead evangelist of our church. And I get to be the only elder who's able to be in the full-time ministry. I love our friendship. We've been through so many circumstances and situations together. I love the evangelists I get to work with in New Jersey, specifically uh, Russ Murdoch and Rob Novak. And uh, as I look at our lives, we're in very three different places in life. I've already mentioned a couple of times how old I am, and I'm not going to mention it again. But I will say uh, Russ is 50 and Rob is 30. So we're in three very different places in life. But I respect them. I appreciate our relationship, our partnership. All of these men I mentioned are great men of God. But here's something I've noticed. Let me give you a secret. Every one of them has flaws. And let me give you something else that I know is not a secret. They've seen flaws in me. We cannot be the foundation of each other's faith. I mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, my family, I'm inspired by the faith of my three adult children and the wonderful people that uh, God allowed them to choose to marry. I'm inspired by the faith of my grandchildren who've become Christians. It is difficult to be college age and high school age and, and be a Christian in this life. There's nothing new under the sun, but society, circumstances, uh, temptations, opportunities are definitely different than when I was a young man. I mentioned before, Mary Lou is the best person I know. We met in September of 1966. We got married, as I mentioned, 1969. We've known each other a long time through a lot of things. She is the best person I know. However, she has maybe one flaw. And I'm not about to tell you what it is because it's her anniversary. My point is, 
people are meant to be encouragements that we encourage each other. People are never meant to be the foundation of our faith. And sometimes, again, I can feel, you can feel, somebody let me down. Let me tell you, somebody in the church is going to let you down. If they haven't today or yesterday, they may tomorrow. It may be me. I want to apologize in advance. People are people, even saved people. Yes, we're striving to be like Jesus, and I appreciate being part of a fellowship where we are very serious about being disciples of Jesus. But again, if I say, because of what brother X or sister Y did, my faith is shaken, my faith's in the wrong place. It's interesting that this passage in Hebrews 12 says that these people are witnesses for us. They're not foundational sources of faith for us. They are witnesses of living by faith in spite of flaws. So what is the answer? It's not a new answer. It's an answer I need to be reminded of. The writer says, how do we run this race with perseverance? How do we throw off temptation, sins, distractions? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. What does that mean? I look at Jesus. I look in the Word. I look at Jesus' life. And let me say more than just Jesus' life, because the letters of the New Testament were written to people like you and me to help us be like Jesus, Christians, like Christ. So the Holy Spirit revealed even more about Jesus as the writers of the New Testament reveal and admonish and encourage us. Here's what it means to be like Jesus. Here's what being Jesus-like is all about. We look at the Old Testament. John says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was what God, God, He created everything with God. Jesus is in the Old Testament. Let us make man in our own, own image. Who's God talking to? We see Jesus. We see God throughout the Bible. I mentioned that first 10K a while ago. It was encouraging to have my wife and children yelling for me, encouraging me. But I tell you what got me through. I got to where I could see the finish line. I could see the end. And I could focus on that and put one foot in front of the other until I got to the end. Now, I know our finish line is heaven, but in reality, we see that by seeing Jesus each day. I want to show you something. I'm speaking today from my little study in our basement. I want you to look at this picture. Now, let me give a disclaimer. Uh, we don't believe in worshiping uh, images and idols and uh, pictures and all of that, but this picture helps me. The background, uh, most of you know, our son Brian, who's an evangelist in the Los Angeles church, is a, also a, a music writer. He's written a lot of the songs that are very standard and loved in our fellowship. Be with me, Lord. I need your love. We sang that last week. Lead me to the rock. Anchor for the soul. 
praises heard around the world. We sang that last week. And I'm saying that. I'm proud of him. But it's just astounding to me because the genetics all come from Mary Lou and not me at all with all of that. What you may not know, even though you know he's a songwriter, is that he's also an artist, which just, again, boggles my mind. My stick figures are not recognizable. He painted this picture for us oh, more than 30 years ago. He was a college student. It actually began as a uh, work for a college course, and then he gave it to us. And it's hard to really grasp in uh, looking at it on, on the screen here, but it's all obviously Jesus on the cross. Part of it's supposed to be Mary in the background, death in the background. I sit across from this picture and read my Bible and have my prayer time and uh, often glance up and look at this picture and think, this is Jesus. This is what Jesus did for me. And as we take communion, that is a time when a very, in a very practical way, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We think about the cross. We think about his body. We think about his blood. Where have we been today? Faith. Faith causes us, allows us, enables us to finish this race. If you and I are putting too much of our faith in circumstances, too much of our faith in people, we will be disappointed and we may give up. Circumstances can help. People can help. But it's fixing our eyes on Jesus that gets us to the end where, like Paul, we can say, I finished the race. I finished the race. And as we take communion... We remember Jesus who ran the race. The Hebrew writer says, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. We do want to fix our eyes on Jesus. We want to remember him. We want to get our eyes off ourselves. And in one way, we want to get our eyes off each other. And even the things going on in our lives and in our world. And have a faith in you that is uh, demonstrated by our commitment to you, our commitment to Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for what he did. Thank you that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Thank you that we can take the bread, we can take the cup. Uh, Bless us as we remember Jesus and as we continue day by day to fix our eyes on him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.